Well, good morning, family. As you know, these past couple of weeks, we are going through what is called the Servant Songs. And normally, we don't do this on a normal Sunday, but I don't teach that often, so I'm going to do it. Um, raise of hands, how many have never heard of the Servant Songs before we started teaching a couple of weeks ago? Okay, good, good. Some of you are going, what's this Servant Song you talk about? Well, there's actually about four of them. And before we get into it, I want to take a pause. I want us to think about something that from Genesis all the way to Malachi. Ah, you thought I'd say Revelation, huh? <laughs> I will, don't worry. From Genesis all the way to Malachi, the Old Testament. The Old Testament. Do you know what it does? It points to the coming Messiah. And a lot of times we open up the Old Testament and we do not see it through the lens of Christ. We do not see it through the Mosaic promise. And thus, we misinterpret it a lot. And and I want to warn us because we know Looking back from Genesis to Revelation, there, see, I said it. From Genesis to Revelation, it all talks about the gospel. It all talks about Christ. But sometimes we forget. Sometimes when we want to know something about Jesus, we go to the New Testament. I mean, that makes sense, right? It's, it's, it's his life, his record. Well, his disciples fell into the same trap that we sometimes do. And before we get into the servant songs, before we get into Isaiah, I want us to turn to Luke chapter 24. You see, let me, let me paint the scene for us here. Jesus, the promised Messiah, the Savior, has just been betrayed. His disciples ran away from him, denied him. He was beaten and brutally, brutally crucified. He was then taken and put in the earth. And three days he rose again. Now, we are on that third day. He has rose again and the disciples, they don't know what to do. And so some of them start heading back. And the title of it is, is On the Road to Emmaus. And so if you jump down, and I'm just going to explain it a little bit. We have some disciples that are walking from Jerusalem to, to Emmaus. And this stranger comes up to them and starts walking with them. And immediately he can tell there is something wrong. There, there's something heavy on their heart. So he looks at him and goes, whoa, brothers. This is a loose Harrington translation. Whoa, brothers. What, what's going on? What do you mean what's going on? Well, well, why are you so forlorn? Where have you been? Underneath a rock? Yeah, yeah that joke went over your head. <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> 
Where have you been? Jesus has been killed. Now, let's jump right into verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, Luke 24, 25, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Can you imagine? They're just walking along and he's going, oh yeah, remember where it says in Exodus, that's pointing to the Christ. Hey, how about in Isaiah? That's pointing to the Messiah. And they're just, their eyes are getting opened up, but they still don't really see it's him until a little bit later. We don't have time to actually see that. What I wanted you to hear was Jesus saying from the beginning, from Genesis, Moses, the Old Testament, pointing to the Messiah. A couple verses later, in verses 44, the disciples are in the upper room, and he appears to them. And he said to them, verse 44, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Verse 45. He then opened their minds to the understand of scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witness of these things. Okay, now tell me about these servant songs. What I wanted to do is this. I want you to understand that as we go to Isaiah chapter 49, I get to talk about the second servant song. There's four servant songs that um, are found in Isaiah. And you know that while Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus, while he was talking with them, these servant songs that point to the Messiah, he was hitting on, he was touching, he was going, look how it points to the Messiah. Look how it shows that the Messiah will come. If you're a note taker, these are the four uh, addresses of the servant songs uh from Isaiah that reveal Christ's character and his ministry. The first one, Pastor Kelly did last week, uh, and that was chapter 42, Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Today, I get to do the second one, Isaiah chapter 49. I'm doing 1 through 6. Some extend it to 13. I, I'm doing 1 through 6. You don't need to hear me for all 13 verses. (laughs) The next week will be chapter 50, verses 4 through 9. And then the final servant song will be chapter 52, verses 13. 
in chapter 53, all the way to verse 12. It's a chapter. Those are the servant songs. And those servant songs point to the service, the ministry, the character of Christ. And the pastors decided to do it because in September, on Wednesday nights, we're actually going to start a series in Isaiah. And so we're just kind of priming the pumps, getting us excited about it. And so I, I encourage you guys to come to the, uh, to the Wednesday night services. But as we get into Isaiah, as we get into the body of the servant song, I want you to think about this. I want you to understand that the whole scripture from Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament, but Genesis to Revelation shows Christ and his work. The whole Bible is about the good news of Christ, the gospel. That's what we call the gospel, the good news. And because the whole Bible is the good news of Christ, we have to understand that as we get into passages like the one we're going to read today, you're going to see Christ in it. And if you don't, my prayer is you come before the Father and say, Lord, show me your son. Show me your son so I can know you better. I can see you clearer. If you try to read the Bible without the lens of Christ, you'll be really smart, but you'll miss the point. There's a lot, a lot of smart Bible people out there, but they're not Christians because they don't see Christ. They don't believe Christ and they don't trust Christ. And that should encourage us to realize that as we hold the scripture in our hands, guess what? We get to see, hear, we get to learn to think, to live, to love like Christ. That, my friends, is incredibly encouraging. Because you know what it says? Well, I don't want to show my hand too quickly, but it says that Christ did the work for us because we were broken vessels. Because no matter how hard we tried, we could not reach perfection. We would trade truth for lies. We would learn to worship created things rather than the creator. It says in Romans chapter 1. And this, my friends, brings us to God's perfect timing. You see, if we were to pause me for a second and reflect on what's going on in this world today, how many would say it's a pretty dark place out there? Yeah, yeah, a lot of us would. My friends, I I titled today's message, The Light at the End of the Tunnel. And I hope that as we go through it, as we, as we dive into the scripture, you're going to see some promises. You're going to hear some words. You're going you're to hopefully wrestle with the spirit and allow his love to just fill you. Otherwise, we're going to go right back out there 
and get steeped right into that darkness that we all just admitted is out there. And so there is light at the end of the tunnel. I promise you. Now, I personally do not know what's going on in your life right now. I know some of you. You know me. But I know that each and every one of us are going through a battle. Each and every one of us have been tried. We're being stretched. Our faith is growing. Maybe right now where you're at with Christ, you're on the up. Man, that's awesome. If that's where you're at, encourage us. We need it. But that doesn't mean that if you're on the up and you see someone who's struggling, who's going through life, understand that our Lord went through it as well. Jesus was tempted in ways that you and I have never been tempted or never will be tempted. And he won. That's amazing. We can put our trust in him because he was tempted where we couldn't be tempted and he defeated it. (sighs) Thank you, Lord. Isaiah chapter 49 Let's start. My plan is I'm going to just try to read the first six verses without interrupting myself. You guys laugh like you know me. (laughs) On your mark. No, okay. Verse 49, or verse uh, 1 of chapter 49 says this. Listen to me, O coastlands. And give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword, and in the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow, and in his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Verse 4, but I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord, my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to rise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Amen. All right. I broke it down into five things for us. And I'm going to give you those five things. And then we're going to go back and we're going to take a look at it. The first one in verse one, the predestined life. Oh, no, I said the P word. Predestinated. We'll explain it. Don't worry. And if you need it, my email is Travis. Okay, I'm joking. Number two, the power of his word. Verse 2. In verse 3, we have purpose in his work. 
Verse 4, we have a pained heart. In verses 5 to 6, we have the promised paradise. You guys ready for this? I'm excited. Why? Because we get to talk about predestination. The pastor's... Ah, no, actually, we love it. We love the term predestination. Do you know why? We can honestly look at you and say... I don't know how he does it. We can try to wrap our minds around it. But in God's amazing wisdom, he predestines and yet allows us in our free will and his purpose gets made. Now, before we dive into this whole predestination thing, I want to ask yourself, do you think you are bigger and smarter than God to tell God what he can and cannot do? Then why are we so worried about predestination? Well, well, when you put it that way, Garrett, well, think about it. Let's go back and take a look at it. Listen to me, verse 1. Listen to me, O coastlands. Give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. We are talking about the incarnate Christ, the body of the mother. The father in that culture named him. He formed me in the womb. The NIV says it, he called me before he was born. Okay. Take a second, push down the hole. Well, Garrett, well, what about predestination? And what about this? And what about the people that have never heard the gospel? And put that down. Let me explain a few things for us. Actually, let's let Isaiah explain a few things. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Oh, man, Isaiah 40 is so good, but we can't go through all of it. And so let me just start. Uh, let's start in verse 27. All right. <clears throat> it says this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Verse 28. This is the verse that I wanted you guys to hear. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. One of the translations goes, we can't fathom it. He's so big, we can't fathom it. My friends, if you're like me, you need to ask for forgiveness because I've made God way too small. He predestined each and every one of us. And in this passage, he predestined the servant. He predestined the servant 
for his ministry. He predestined the servant that was foreknown but has appeared. First Peter chapter 1, 20 through 21 says that. And Paul in the New Testament goes, wow, I see myself as predestined, and you guys should too. He actually encourages the church to see that, to see that God created us. God knew us before we were born. And for some of us, we are thinking, but, 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 but what, what about, what about? My friends, if you believe in a sovereign God, then you got to trust in his sovereignty for everybody. Oh, okay. I want you to understand. I want you to walk away. If, if, if you walk away with this, then that's great. There is a plan in play to bring God's kingdom to earth, and that was through the person of Jesus Christ. This wasn't a, oh, no, God's sitting up there going, I created the humans, and, and the, the Lucifer tricked them, and uh, what do I do? No. Actually, it says in Genesis chapter 3 that there would come a seed. It was planned all along. And my friends, you may be in a dark place right now. And if you are, I'm sorry. I'll pray with you. I'll walk with you. Pastors, we pray every Tuesday for the body. That's why we have those prayer requests. Put them in. We want to walk with you. We want to encourage you. Understand that God is working in your life, even if it seems really dark. That's hard to say. That's hard to swallow. That's hard to just... Wrap your mind around because we, especially Western culture, American Christians, we, we don't like discomfort. If you don't believe me, get on Facebook from about 5.30 last night to about 11.30. You know how many complaints about no power there was? It's like, guys, come on. We don't like discomfort. And we can't, we, we try to wrap our mind around that, that the Lord is allowing us to grow. That the Lord is allowing stuff in our lives that stretches us. And we go, God, you didn't okay that with me first. And God goes, how big are you? If predestination isn't a comfort, we're missing the point. We're overthinking, and you're diving way too deep in philosophy. Go back and read the scripture and know that the Lord has you in his hand. He told the servant, the Lord called me from the womb. The servant had a predestined life. Verse 2, the power of his word. He made my mouth like a sharp sword, 
and in the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow, and in his quiver he hid me away. I love this imagery. It's awesome. It's powerful. It's don't try to draw it. That's just scary. I mean, we read in Revelation, you know, the sword of truth coming out of the mouth, and then we show it to little kids. No wonder they have nightmares. My friends, what Isaiah is saying, what Revelation is saying, is that his word is the weapon. His word is the truth. Oh. And if his word is truth... That's why he can stand on a stormy sea and say, calm. And it was calm. The waves knew their master's voice. That's how he could go to people who were sick and say, be healed. And they were healed because he had the authority over that. My friends... Do not disregard the word of God. Do not disregard that power. You see, the word of Christ, like we just said, from Genesis to Malachi, and yes, even to Revelation, points to the power of the gospel. It points to Christ there are so many cross-references. Have you guys ever noticed, like, in, in your Bible, there's, like, verses that are kind of right there in the middle, and you go, I wonder what that's for. Well, it depends on what Bible you have. Some of them, uh, they're called cross-references. And what they do is a saying, a phrase, they'll say, oh, yeah, go to this verse. It's just like it. And go to that verse. It's just like that. And go to that verse. It's just like that. And you, if you're like me, and you have a great ADHD brain, this is fun. And you just bounce around scripture. And it's awesome because it points all back to the power of Christ. To the good news that it's all about him. And so I, I challenge you, not right now I'm teaching, but maybe later... When you're opening up the word, when you're, when you're reading, take a look at those cross references and look and see and see how it encourages you. Some scripture only has just a little bit. Some are, are massive. If you're really wanting to dive into it, I would suggest getting a study Bible. That, yeah, a good study Bible. You can shoot us, pastors at trail.org, and we have a couple of recommendations depending on what translation you would like. So feel free if, if you want some more info about diving deep into a Bible study, you know, what study Bible you should use, pastors at trail.org, and we'll get that to you, okay? Meanwhile, the power of his word. I love the imagery here. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. And in the shadow of his hand, he hid me. One commentary said, it, it was like Isaiah was saying, his truth was right there for Israel, the sharp sword. And then the arrow was for the Gentiles. I like that imagery. 
But more specifically, I like this. You see, in Hebrews, it says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce, divide, heal, encourage, uplift, allow us to see his truth. And sometimes we take the power of his word very flippantly. Sometimes it's a chore. Instead of understanding, it's the very word of God. And that goes back to how we view who God is, how big our God is. He has written, he has shared his life with us. And he's equipped his servant with his word. Sword of truth. Sounds a lot like uh, Ephesians chapter 6, doesn't it? Put on the full armor of God. Did you know that every piece of that armor is a part of Christ? From the helmet to the shoes. It's all about Christ, my friends. His power. His power is amazing. His power can set us free. Why are we listening to anything else? Verse 3. He was predestined. He had a predestined life. There's power in his word. And there's purpose in his work. All right? Now, this is where we, we kind of take a look at it. And I want you to guys to, to understand. If you heard me read it straight through. And it almost seemed like, well, wait a minute. He's talking like to two different Israels here. All right? No, no, no. There's a purpose. I want you to understand this. Verse 3, he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. I want you to understand. Turn with me right to to, uh, verse 5 of that. Now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob back to him. Wait a minute. Okay, so let me explain a little bit here. I want you to understand that as the servant song is being sung, as it's this oracle is, is being given, you see his predestined life, you see the power of his word, and you see the purpose in his work. And that purpose is what? Reconciliation. Redeeming. Bringing us Back to him. Because we were broken. the, The actual Israel, the nation of Israel, was rebellious. Turning away from God constantly. It says in Judges, and they did what was right in their own eyes. I hope that's not anywhere in my eulogy. And Garrett did right. No, that's not a good thing to be bragging about. But yet that's what Israel was. And so we needed a real Israel. A new Adam. Are you guys starting to connect the dots? Are you go- okay, wait a minute. Here we go. There's a, there's a real Israel, an Israel that's not rebellious, that listened to Christ, obeyed the Father. Sorry, 
that listened to the Father, obeyed the Father, the real Israel. And it's the Messiah. You see, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. In Matthew chapter 2 and Hosea chapter 11, it calls the Messiah as the son called from Egypt. Remember this whole predestination thing? There is a purpose. And what does this mean for you and I? It means this. The purpose of his work is that Jesus is the ultimate faithful human. The only human that can and does mediate God to us and us to God. This means you don't get closer to God by acting out all the rules, all the laws. You get closer to God by believing and listening and following the Messiah. Amen? And yet, we come to a dark place in this song. How many were kind of shocked when you read verse 4? Especially since I kind of said this is the Messiah. You read verse 4 and it says, I have labored in vain. What? I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. My friends, Jesus felt what we feel. But I have to say he felt it at a much rawer, realer emotion than we ever could. Let me remind you that the sins of the whole world were poured out on him. My friends, I know the stupid things I've done, and that pains me. And there's about 400 of us in this room right now. But the sins of the whole world? Can you imagine the Son of God walking with his disciples and them just not getting it time and time again? Parents, I love you. Be nice to your children. But it's the same mentality. It's like, I told you this. I told you this. But Jesus had a pained heart. He was despondent. In fact, while he was being crucified, Jesus cried out and quoted Psalm 22. Why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If, if I was Pastor Matt, I would have yelled it out in Hebrew and that would have woken you all up. But uh, I'm not Pastor Matt. But that, that reality, that despondent, I have, I, I've broken. I've lost. He yells out, it is finished. I, I want you to think about this. The night 
in the upper room, the farewell discourse. He's surrounded by a handful of close friends. He shares some of the most amazing passages that we hold dear to our hearts. He washes his disciples' feet. And he looks at them and goes, you're all going to run away. My friends, if you're going through a hard time, understand Christ went through a hard time as well. Lean on him. He had a pained heart. He was despondent. But even as he prayed the night he was betrayed, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass, let it go. But not my will, let your will be done. You see, Jesus understood that he had a predestined life. Jesus understood that there was power in his word. He could have easily said, all right, I'm done. Angels come, take me away. Jesus understood that the purpose of his work was to live the life that we couldn't live, was to die the death that we couldn't die. And it was heavy on him. And so it's okay to have a heavy heart. It's okay to go through and be despondent. I want you to understand that because there's no greater encourager than the one who went before us. Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, let me remind you the difference between a shepherd and a butcher. A shepherd actually leads and the sheep follow. That means the shepherd goes through the valley of the shadow of death before his sheep. Oh, God, thank you for going before me. Forgive me for wandering off. The butcher, butcher doesn't care. Butcher gets behind, usually uses dogs and loud noises and drives the sheep. Our father's the shepherd. The enemy's the butcher. Who are you listening to? It's okay to have a heavy heart. And if you have a heavy heart, please come to the Father. Come before him and be encouraged. And finally, there's a promised paradise. I love this. Now, the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be a servant. Again, that predestination. Why? To bring back, bring Jacob back to him. And that all Israel might be gathered to him. All right? Again, predestination, power of his word, purpose of his work. I am honored in the eyes of the Lord. And, the, and my God has become my strength. My God has become my strength. In verse 6, he says, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to rise up the tribes of Jacob to bring back the preserved of Israel? My friends, 
Again, predestination free will. I don't know how the Father's going to do it, but he's going to be bringing back Israel as part of his, his clan, and it's going to be amazing. The end times is going to be tough. Why, why, why would I call it amazing? Because we're going to see God and this promise and the future of us with him for eternity. And what you and I are going through is a drop in the bucket, my friends. Well, that's easy for you to say. You don't know what I'm going through. You're right. I personally don't. But I've gone through enough that I can say, don't trust my word. Trust the power of his word. Trust his word. Because what he says is that there is light at the end of the tunnel. What he says is that Israel and Gentiles, because of the person of Christ, because of the character, the nature, Christ's life, we can be reconciled with him. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. John 14. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and life. So, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Remember that polished arrow? The truth? My friends, he has called you and I to go, to take the power of his word and go. How can we understand that his death could reconcile the world to God? Turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter 5. Get your fingers ready because we're going to be hopping around a little bit. But I hope and I pray that this would, uh, you, you would understand. Second Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 20 and go to 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, by being a real representative, by taking our sin, not just Garrett, but the sins of the whole world, he took the sins, and anyone who repents and believes gets his life instead of the one we deserve. So my friends, where do we go from here? Well, I have three trust statements. The first one is this. 
trust in the Lord. However, trust in the Lord means believing in his timing, not ours. Did you guys catch that? Trust in the Lord. But that means believing in his timing, not ours. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Just one book over. As we go through these three statements, I want you to be reminded of the servant song of Isaiah. There's a predestined life. There's power of his word. There's purpose in his work. There was a pained heart. But take courage. There's a promised paradise. And we read Galatians chapter 4. And if we trust in the Lord, that means we trust in his timing. We believe his timing is perfect, not our own. Listen to what it says. We're going to start in verse 4. But when the fullness of time, oh, okay, note that. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, you are heir through God. My friends, whatever you're going through, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding, it says. In all their ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That trust in the Lord is you and I saying, I don't completely understand. And that's hard for me to say because I like my ducks in a row. I like from point A to point Z and I see B, C, D, E. I mean, I see them all in line. And when something comes at you, you go, wait a minute, hold on, trust in the Lord means believing in his timing. His timing is perfect. It's predestined. Trust and rest assured in that predestination. That in his ultimate wisdom, because remember, he's a whole lot bigger than we are. And he's a whole lot smarter, thank God. That I'm going to trust in his timing not my own. The second trust in the Lord comment is this. Trust in the Lord. That means obeying the calling that he has for you. Wait, what? Well, hold on. We trust in the Lord, believing his timing. And if we were to go back to the Isaiah 49 passage, remember, predestined life power of his word, purpose of his work. He had the pained heart, but take heart, take courage, because he has given us 
a promised paradise. So trust in the Lord means obeying his calling for you. Turn with me to John chapter 17. Commonly known as the high high priestly prayer. We're not going to have time to look at all of it. I'm not going to have time to explain what I'm going to be reading. But very briefly. We're going to start in verse 13. This is the night that Jesus is betrayed. This is before his, his disciples will scatter. Listen to what he, what he prays. Verse 13. But now I'm coming to you. He's talking to the Father. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not ask, verse 15, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, set them apart in truth. Your word is truth. Verse 18, this is where I was wanting to go. As you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. If you just think that this is for his close disciples, you're not reading far enough. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, and they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. My friends, trust in the Lord means obeying his calling on you and I. And that's this. As a believer, I've given Christ my life. He's traded me life for life. Me obeying God is not earning more salvation. Me obeying God is saying, God, I'm trusting you. I'm hearing what your word says, and I'm following you. I'm believing in your perfect timing. I'm being sent out as you have sent so many others out. And maybe maybe God hasn't called you specifically to go overseas, but what he has called each and every one of us is to become one and send people overseas together. You guys catch that? And maybe, maybe the person that he has asked you to reach for is your next door neighbor. The one 
that you really, really don't like because they don't think like you. They don't talk like you. They don't... We can make a lot of excuses. But no. Trust in the Lord means believing his timing. Jesus did this perfectly. Remember, Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. Perfect timing. Trust in the Lord means obeying his calling on you. We looked at the John 17 passage. We don't have time to jot these down, so just jot them down. Matthew 28, Acts 1. This is Jesus, the Great Commission, sending his disciples, not just to the local church, but to the ends of the world. Remember that arrow? The truth is to go far. And finally, maybe you're like me. Maybe you're, you're wrestling and going, Garrett, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what I'm struggling with right now. Trusting in the Lord means this. We're trusting that his life, his life completely redeems our old life. And nothing can override that. In Second Corinthians chapter 5, we were just there, but a couple verses before we read, it says that we are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new is here. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, it says that he is our mediator. He walked through what we couldn't. And so he completely can and does redeem us if we believe. And my friends, I would like us to turn to this passage. Romans chapter 8. You see, with a predestined life, with power of his word, with purpose in his work, with a pained heart, but take courage, he has a promised paradise for us. We as believers, we have gone, who, who, those of us that have said, okay, I'm tired of living for myself. I'm tired of failing time and time again. I know I need help. I know I need a savior. And we have submitted our lives to Christ. We have repented of our sins and we've gone to him. The good news is that he traded us life for life. Somehow the enemy gets in our mind and says, did he really? You might have forgotten it, but he doesn't forget what you did on August 12th, two thousand. And 17. And you're going, what did I do on August 12th, 2017? Oh no. My friends, if you believe that Christ is Lord and that He has offered you the good news of eternal life, let me just read this. Verse 35 of chapter 8 of Romans. Who shall separate us from the love of God, love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? 
As it is written, for your sake we have been killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, the butcher. Verse 37, take note. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Guys, the power of his word. We are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from that love, from that redemption. The only thing that can is our hard hearts believing that Jesus is not who he says he is. Well, that escalated quickly. But that's the reasoning. That's the beautiful promise. For I am sure, verse 38, that neither death, life, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, or power, height, depth, anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Trust in the Lord. My friends, it means trusting in his timing, not our own. Trust in the Lord. That means obeying, obeying what he has called you and I to do. And what has he called you and I to do? Trust him. To trust him and go and share and be real with people. We have a world out there that they're so tired of all the lies. They want authenticity. They want realness. So my friends, let's go be real. Not on our own strength. We'll fail but on his. And trusting in the Lord means that you're trusting him completely to redeem every area of your life. Every area. Can you see why that is the light at the end of the tunnel? Amen? You may be going through something right now, but take heart. There is light at the end of the tunnel. We're going to pray as the worship team gets up here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for the baptism. I'm going to pray for the food. And I'm going to pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for your word, for your truth. Thank you that you are so real, so alive, that you defeated death. And now each and every one of us who know you, gets to spend eternity with you. And so, Father, I pray for all of us right now that as we're going through life, the ups and the downs, the twists, the turns of life, that we would never lose sight of the hope and of the promise that is in you. When our, when our grip gets tired, Father, hold on to us. We need it. And, Father, I pray for those that are getting baptized right now. And maybe there's some in this room that that weren't thinking about getting baptized, but they're going, Father, I want to trust you. I want to, I want to be an heir to the throne by trusting in Jesus. I pray that you're working in their heart as well and that they would have the, uh, the encouragement to stand up and go get, go get baptized right now. Father, help us see you as the really big God you are. In Jesus' name. Amen.